that volunteer and help uh, to make not only Sundays happen, but the rest of the ministries throughout the week happen as well. Uh, if we haven't met, uh, my name is Pastor Drew, and I am very excited to be here. Um, I'm very excited to get to do a church with you all, and I'm really excited to be back in the pulpit. Um, honestly, it's been 10 weeks uh, since I've been in the pulpit. We were out. I was out for a long time uh, due to an illness of one of my children um, who is doing uh, a lot better, and we are so grateful for that. Um, but I am extremely happy to be back in the pulpit today. On Tuesday night, I actually dreamed about this moment, um, and we, everyone was coming to church. Um, you know, it's like 10, 15, 10, 20. I was so excited to see everybody, and then worship started, and I was downstairs in the coffee room. I don't know why. In the coffee room, uh, I could hear him playing the first song, and all of a sudden I realized I have no pants on. <laughs> and I just have a swimsuit on, and I'm in the coffee room, and I'm like, what, what are we going to do? I'm like full panic. I can hear Rachel go from the first song. I hear the second song going. I hear the, like, the brief stop for the psalm reading, and I am just, I'm, I'm firing off text to everybody that I can think of. And then I woke up in a puddle of sweat. Uh, so at this point, I feel like I'm already winning, just that I'm fully clothed uh, and up here in front of you. Uh, so this is, it's all up from here. Yes, yes. Uh, so let's talk about Jesus. Uh, all right, Luke 3. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, open them up. If not, it will miraculously appear behind me on the screen. Uh, but we will continue uh, through the Advent text. And I cheated a little bit uh, and kind of went back a little bit into last week's text as well. But this is Luke 3. We're going to start in verse 3 and go to 18. And then I'm going to pray and dive into this. Uh, so beginning in verse 3, and this is talking about John. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the work, in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth. And all people will see God's salvation. God said to the crowds coming out to be baptized him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then? The crowd asked. And John answered, Anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. Anyone who has food should do the same. Even the tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expecting, expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. And John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork 
is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your word. We're so grateful that we hold it up and sit under its authority. It is a light to our path. Father, we are grateful for the opportunity to gather as brothers and sisters in Christ. We recognize that you are the one that brought us, if we are Christians in this room, that brought us to salvation. You are the one that that cares deeply for every aspect of our lives, and we pray that you would continue to do so. We pray for those in our church who are hurting, whether that's relationally, going through a difficult time, whether that's physically, with health issues, whether that's mentally, or whether that's in regards to sin, or whether it's in regards to uh, their housing or financially, Father, we pray that you would have your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. May you bring peace. May you bring hope. May you bring joy. Father, I pray that you would work through the preaching of, of your word. May you stir our hearts to worship, convict us of sin, and reassure us with the good news of the gospel. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. 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 To begin this text, to begin this sermon, we need to understand a little bit about how the original audience would have heard this from John. See, back then, they had road systems, but not nearly as kind of well-designed and well-constructed as ours today. Barely any what they would even refer to as paved roads. Very few intentionally built roads, just kind of pathways that were formed over time. Kind of like how we have trails through the woods that over time, like these people going the same way, it kind of builds builds out that trail, similar to how many of the roads back then were built. So if you were going to go on a journey from one place to another, you just did your best to follow the way. If a boulder had fallen down off a hill, you went around it. If there had been a sinkhole, you went around it. If there was a dead end because something had happened, some natural disaster had caused you not to be able to go forward, you went a different direction. And all this was true of everyone back in the day, unless you were a king. You see, a king had an entourage, animals, a caravan, which meant that if the king and all of the people coming with him was going to go from one place to another, he sent people ahead to make a way. He sent his engineers out ahead, his workers to repair the roads in anticipation of the king's arrival. A town had to prepare for the king to come. So listen to John's words again. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth. See, I thought this was just flowery, beautiful language for a long time. But when John said this, people understood the changes that had to be made in recognition of an event that was about to take place. John the Baptist is giving these people a visual for the reality that the king is coming. 
But instead of just huge boulders that need to be moved, which would have been, you know, plenty of work taken, it would, take, it, would, it would have taken to do that, or potholes being filled in, the language here is every valley shall be filled in. Every mountain and hill made low. Crooked roads shall miraculously become straight and rough ways smooth. John is explaining that there's a transformation to the roads that needs to happen in preparation for the king. But this transformation is not only significant, it's outside of human ability. We currently live, my wife and kids live over in Washington Park, but we for a long time lived on Sunset down in Vine City. And in the back of our yard, uh, we kind of had a flat area and then a little hill that came, came you know, from that point forward to the back of our uh, fenced-in area. And at one point, we looked at that flat area, which was grass, and said, gosh, it would be great for us to have a brick patio here. And there had been a house that had been knocked down, and I, in the middle of the night, had gone and taken all the bricks and put them in the back of our Saturn. Uh, So I had those bricks ready for a patio. And so I took this kind of 12-foot by 12-foot area uh, that was all grass, and I just thought, well, you know, I'll grab a shovel after work one day this week. I'll level that out, and then the next day we'll go ahead and start getting it ready to put the bricks down. About four days later, I had learned that moving dirt is a ton of work. Four days, two broken shovels, a super sore 27-year-old back. I had that patio kind of close enough to level. So if you're ever in, uh, you know, at our neighbors over at 130 at sunset, just be kind when you look at that back patio. Close enough to getting it level to put the bricks down. And so I, when I read this and thought about mountains coming down, valleys getting filled in, John is asking, is calling for monumental changes. These words are carefully chosen to illustrate that in preparation, a transformation needs to take place, but it's not a a transformation that we are even capable of ourselves. Knowing that, let's remember which gospel this is. In the gospel of Luke, remember that Luke, the author of this account of Jesus, is a physician. Luke was a doctor. And so Luke wants the people and us to understand that in order to be healthy, he needs to be honest with us about our diagnosis. And if John the Baptist is anything, the man was honest. You see, when we go to visit the doctor, if I have a stomach pain of some sort, I go to the doctor, I'm you know, hoping going in that it's some sort of minor thing like a, like a minor form of acid reflux or I ate something wrong you know, the, the, week, the day before, something minor is wrong. But I also go into that understanding that, that the job of that doctor, that physician, is not to tell me what I want to hear, it's to tell me what I need to hear. It's to figure out what is wrong and give me a proper diagnosis. If I come in and that pain is actually stomach cancer, I don't need more Tums to take care of that. I need to understand what the diagnosis is. And so Luke's Gospel includes strong language from John the Baptist, but it's not only what we need to hear, it's actually incredibly loving and incredibly freeing. 
John knows that Jesus is the king who is more powerful than John. The straps of whom sandals John is not worthy to untie. And he knows that our best life, really our only hope in life and death, is to recognize the truth that Jesus is king. So what does John tell these people and us to do? The first and foremost thing is he tells them to repent. Repentance is the turning from sin, which is all it is that boils down to is a turning and trusting in Jesus as King. We see language here in this, this third chapter of John. These things are key, or produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Put another way, repentance is simply saying, I'm tired of looking to my own way to live. And I own that I'm trusting myself and it's failing. And I'm willing to trust Jesus' way. Another way of even saying it still is saying that sin is what we attach ourselves to when we attach ourselves to anything other than God. With the purpose of finding our ultimate hope, our ultimate identity in anything other than Him. This language keeping of produce fruit in keeping with repentance. What He's saying there is repentance has everything to do with what we are attaching ourselves to that will produce fruit. And when we think about our lives so quickly, we attach ourselves to things that we think are going to give us hope, we think are going to give us happiness, and it fails us over and over again. Fruit in keeping with repentance. Repentance is not the fruit. Repentance is the attachment to the one that produces the fruit. And don't forget, a lot of these people are, are religious men and women. You see, you see in, in, the, in the middle of the chapter here, it talks about, for uh, do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. What John is saying is saying, just don't, don't believe for a second that religion is going to save you. Don't think for a second that just you know, saying, going, showing up at church in 2021 is going to save you. It comes back to over and over again, what are we attached to? Nothing should give us more meaning, more identity in life than our relationship with Jesus. That's why it's the first commandment. I am the Lord your God. We think in the New Testament, Jesus' words to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and all your strength, and everything else flows from that. Because we have no chance at battling sin if we are not first attached to the one that gives us life. So John, in love, calls these men and women to repentance. And the second thing he asks them to do, he invites them to do, he commands them to do, is to abide in Jesus. Abide means simply to accept or act in accordance with the truth that Jesus is King. When he's going to the trouble of saying, prepare the way, every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill made low, he's, he's pointing to the fact that this Jesus who is coming is not just another man to be respected. This Jesus is coming with a king and a kingdom to follow. In your best life, you being made whole again, you being healthy is recognizing Him as such. And then acting like God is God. Acting like Jesus is King. When they asked Him what, what, he, what they should do, John answered, Anyone who has two shirts should give with the one who has none. 
Anyone who has food should do the same. Tax collectors asking, what do we do? Don't collect any more than you're required to. Some soldiers asking, what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. What he's saying is trust that the Lord and how he designed life is good, that he will take care of you and then act according to his commands. Trust that he will provide for you and act, and act according to that truth. While we were in the hospital, so many of you were unbelievably kind to us. Day three or four, we were there. Somebody set up a meal train. Somehow we're still getting meals. We've been home from the hospital for weeks. And you guys keep bringing them. And we we're just like, you know, stop. It's fine. But in the hospital, we had meals come. I think it was four nights a week. And they weren't just like meals for, you know, something to get us through that night. It was meals. We had leftovers after leftovers. But on top of that, so many folks, once they found out that we were kind of trading spots in the hospital, one, my wife and one of us were in there every single night, they just started emailing us gift cards to Uber Eats. And to be honest, I know this makes me sound super old, and, and I I'm, I'm promise I'm still in my 30s, but I had never Uber-eated before. Like, I honestly had no idea. We had to, like, download the app, and by the time we downloaded it, there was, like, $900 in there. There was $950, and just, just $50 gift cards, $100 gift cards, like an exorbitant amount of money that got put on these Uber Eats gift cards, and we were so grateful for it. Well, this past week, we had a friend of ours, a family not at the church, but a friend of ours, uh, and their family just all came down with a sickness kind of at the same time. And so we have been loved so well, like our instant thought was, well, let's provide food for them. And so we go on to the Uber Eats app, and we fill out a, a, the, an order to go to their house, be delivered to their house, like a Willie's like family dinner, kind of what all that comes with that. And it was my wife's idea, like most generous things that we do are, and I went in the app, and we sent it away. And I thought about this text. I thought that it was so easy for me to do. Like it took no, I, I, we didn't think twice about it. The fact that these people are hurting and we're going to give, we're going to send them food. But then I laughed and was convicted. Honestly, it was so easy because we already had $1,000 in there. Like we were just giving from what people had already given us. This is just like, you know, we're just passing gift card money to them and sending it to them. And, you know, not, not that there wasn't some cost to that, but I thought about it and I was like, if I understood that everything that I have is actually a gift from the Lord, that he has, he has you know, he has, he has filled up the app, with hundreds and hundreds of dollars, how quickly would I be responding to the needs of my brothers and sisters? How quickly would I be saying, oh, you need, I, I've got, my, my God has given me way more than I could ever ask, way more than I deserve. I'm happy to provide for you. What if that was our mentality as Christians? And we think about this text, the, 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 the call that they have here, what should we do? Anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, recognizing that if I understand that both those shirts came from God and he's going to give me another one anyway, I might as well give it away. And especially if someone is in need and needs food or shirt or whatever the need is. Which bears the question... For us, if producing fruit in keeping with repentance means that it comes from being healthily attached to Jesus, a healthy understanding that he is king and therefore we can give away, it bears the question, which is this is hard for us, if it is hard for us, if we find ourselves struggling to give away our time, our money, our things of this world, 
If we struggle to see other people as important enough to, to, to receive from us or worthy enough, don't they just need to try harder? If we have that mentality, we need to ask ourselves, what is it that instead of Jesus we have unhealthily attached ourselves to? Thinking it's going to provide for us. Because the reality is that the money that we have in the bank account or on the apps, like we, that, the actual paper, the coins, that, that's not what we're, we are attached to. For so many of us, it's the security or the control that we love so much. Think about the control. If I have enough, if I have plenty of money, if I have an abundance, then I, then I feel like I can control my life. I feel like I can control what's ahead. I can plan ahead. I can have a sense of security that everything's going to be okay because I have this, this storage of money. And I'm not saying don't be wise with your money. We're going to have some finance classes in 2022. We're going to talk about wisdom and, and having a, a savings account and you know months of savings. All that is wisdom from the Scripture. But we have to ask ourselves, are we hoarding at another person's expense? And if that is the case, don't just say, let me fix that by doing something different, but let me ask the deeper question of what am I attaching myself to? And if I'm honest, I'm attaching myself to security outside of the Lord so often. I'm looking to things of this world, whether it's money or relationships or, or notoriety, fill in the blank and saying, that will give me what really only the Lord can. And when we repent of that and turn to the Lord, I promise you, it will free you up over and over again. And the idea that John is putting forth is that joy is attachment-free living. It's a story where they did a, I think I told this years ago, I couldn't remember, a story where they did an um, experiment on mice. And you, know, and you have like a little a hamster cage, but they had mice in it and they uh, had like a bottle uh, where they kind of get water from, but instead of in, in, in the liquid was some sort of like dopamine hit. And the study, the conclusion from the study is that with, without the dopamine, if they didn't, have, didn't provide the dopamine, the mice lived normal lives and, you know, whatever that means. And they ran around, did the little wheel thing, like uh, ate, like drank, kind of hung out together. But when they introduced the dopamine, they stopped doing everything else. And they hit the dopamine so many times, and so often they would do it instead of eating and drinking. And the mice ended up dying because they could not think about anything else. And when I think about our lives, that is the call not only to attach ourselves to Jesus, but being honest and repent and detaching ourselves from those things that we think are going to provide us joy and happiness, but leave us empty over and over again. And what on earth would it look like if people from the outside looked at people at Redeemer and said, gosh, those people, I don't know what's going on there, but they look so free. They look so free in order to be able, it's free to love, free to care, free to give. They look so free. And other than Jesus, John was the premier example of this. He certainly wasn't attached to nice clothes. 
certainly wasn't a slave to a luxurious food. The dude ate bugs, for crying out loud. He certainly wasn't beholden to people's opinions. The next two verses after we read are, but when John rebuked Herod because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the evil things he had done, so John spoke truth to power. What did Herod do? Herod added added this up and locked him in prison. John didn't give a rip about people's opinions of him, and how could he live that free life? It's because he was so attached to Jesus. May Advent be the season, the perfect season, we consider our our unhealthy and disordered attachment. And the third thing that we repent, when we repent, when we understand what it means to be attached attached and abiding in Jesus, the third thing is that we expect to be changed. John says, he's going, I'm going to baptize you with water. He's going to baptize you with fire. The, when we hear that, it does sound scary, but I want to kind of put this in context. I want you to think about what, the, like what it means when uh, glass goes from like its kind of hardened form to those beautiful vases that are made when do people do glass blowing. So friends of ours, people on our street did this as like a date night. Uh, sounded kind of intense, but like maybe that's you know your, your kind of thing. But a date night where the, the, this couple went and they did this glass, kind of intro to glass blowing. And how it works is that, uh, that a, a piece begins when the glass blows or the, you know, the person doing the glass blowing reaches into the furnace, into the crucible that is filled with clear, melted glass, and he gathers a layer of this molten glass with the end of a steel blowpipe. So kind of use your imagination to understand what's going on here. And that oven that has heated up the glass is upwards of like 2,900 degrees Fahrenheit, so ridiculously hot. So it, he grabs the molten glass, molten glass at the end of the steel pipe, and then the artist then rolls it on a steel table called a marver and gives it that uh, cylindrical, which, you know, round shape. And then the artist blows into it, changing it. Once it's heated up, changes it, gives it beauty, gives it shape, and gives it purpose. The glass by itself, before it went into the oven, is unmoldable. And honestly, not even that helpful. But given the heat of the fire, it begins to change and is molded into something else. Brothers and sisters, this is what it is to be a follower of Jesus. John was baptizing with the water, but Jesus was coming to give us the Holy Spirit. And the good news is that water represents that you have been saved, but that fire represents that you will be changed. God can give you the Spirit. Jesus... Jesus, it promises, John promises that Jesus will give the Spirit to cleanse and purify the heart, not only as the water washes off the dirt on the outside, but as the fire clears out the mess that's on the inside, melts down the metal so that it may be cast into a new mold. John 14, 15 through 17 says, If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father. He will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever the spirit of truth god's committed to making you and i more and more like jesus and to making this earth more and more like heaven and this isn't supposed to be scary and it is a little scary it's like not superstitious but i'm a little stitious it's not real scary it's a little scary but it shouldn't be Because the same God that promises to mold you, to make you more like Jesus, was the one that loved you enough to send His Son to die in your place. 
And He's making you not, 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 not burning this off to hurt you, but making it so that you are more and more free. And eventually, at that second advent, that second arrival when Jesus comes back, He will baptize the entire world, making all things new and all things perfect. And oh, what a glorious day it will be when our King comes back. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your kindness and generosity to us in giving us not only salvation in Jesus, but giving us the Holy Spirit to guide and direct us and give us repentant and courageous hearts to follow you well. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.